0: Hi, my name is Mike Dillard, and this is Self-Made Man, the podcast for those who want to leave their mark on the world and create a legacy of honor, integrity, and achievement in every aspect of your life. I'm glad you're here, and once again, it is time to forge your destiny. You know, I love success stories like the one that you're about to hear today because these are the dreams that entrepreneurship is made of. Mike Salguero had a simple problem. His wife was diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease, and their doctors were unanimous. You must eat clean, grass-fed beef that's free of hormones, antibiotics, and that are never fed grain. But as they soon found out, finding purely grass-fed beef was nearly impossible. Now, if you're like me, this is where you say, wait a minute, Mike, why don't they just go to Whole Foods? They sell grass-fed beef, which is actually a question that I brought up in this interview. Well, as I learned, that's not exactly true. In fact, less than 1% of beef consumed in the U.S. is truly and wholly grass-fed. And that's when they realized that sourcing the cleanest, purest sources of animal meat is a really, really big challenge and a big opportunity. So they started with a single cow that they found on a farm and they shared it with friends. And then one of them asked, if they could, man, just have this quality of meat delivered straight to his house, that would be amazing. And that was it. That was the spark that inspired Mike to start ButcherBox.com, a company that sources and ships the purest, healthiest meat that you can get straight to your door. Now, what I love most about this story is that Mike has never been in the meat business. He didn't know how to have it processed or packaged or shipped. He had to figure all of that out from scratch, and he even managed to do it without any kind of funding. So today, we're going to dive into the story of ButcherBox and how Mike has now scaled it to an incredibly fast-growing, multi-million dollar company. Now, make sure that you listen to the very end where he shares one of the single biggest pieces of the puzzle, which happened to be one very specific person that he pursued and eventually was able to hire. Now, in addition to that, if you'd like to try ButcherBox for yourself, Mike has graciously offered a $25 discount off your first order. Just enter the coupon code SELFMADE, all one word, during the checkout process. With that being said, please help me welcome Mike Salguero. Mike Salguero, welcome to Self-Made Man. It's a pleasure to have you here today.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. You bet. Excited to be here.
0: Uh, so you're in one of the most competitive business spaces <laughs> in the online world these days, which is why I'm excited to have you on the show. We've had... Some other uh, some other entrepreneurs who've been in similar types of businesses here uh, before, which have done really well. But as you and I had a chance to talk about earlier, this is an unbelievably competitive space these days. And you are the founder of ButcherBox.com, and I can't wait to uh, to hear your story. And I have to ask you if you could start at the very beginning. You do have a definitely a big background as an entrepreneur but in a very different industry, what in the world inspired you to start ButcherBox?
1: Yeah, yeah. So first of all, uh, when you say competitive, I assume you mean meal kit companies. Yes. Of which there are uh, dozens. Yeah. We actually like to position ourselves in a different space than MealKit. So we're kind of, we just send the meat. Uh, ButcherBox just sends meat. We don't send any of the ingredients. uh, And giving people the flexibility to choose what they want. Um, So we really see competition more like grocery stores um, Mm. than... To you know, the Plated and HelloFreshes and Blue Aprons of the world. But we can get into that as well because um, that whole industry is getting turned on its head right now as Blue Apron went public and uh, has not done as well as, uh, as expected. So anyway, we'll, we'll we can talk about that later. Yeah. So I guess quick, quick backstory. Always wanted to be an entrepreneur, had a paper route, uh, sold t-shirts at, uh, at events, you know, was always trying to figure out a way to, to hustle. My first company, which we started in 2008, uh, was called Custom Made, CustomMade.com, uh, marketplace for custom stuff. Uh, actually, crazily in my initial pitch deck, like literally the first time I went out to raise money, I had uh, a picture of a feedlot with a bunch of cows eating in a feedlot and then a picture of a happy cow grazing on grass. And I talked about transparency and production and how customers really were looking for the story behind the food that they were eating. And it was only a matter of time before that uh, phenomenon happened in the stuff that they were buying. So custom made was a marketplace for custom furniture. Um, Our whole thing was you could take a photo of a dining table that you liked at a restoration hardware and get a local maker to make it. So we raised a bunch of money. Uh, We had first round capital in our deal. We had Google in our deal. Raised about $27 million um, over that period of time between 2008 and 2015 you know ultimately the business changed a little bit what we found was the marketplace didn't quite work and i had a co-founder and uh we had a lot of scaling issues and it was uh it was a, it was an intense ride it was a fun ride learned a ton but uh ultimately my co-founder still runs it but it's just focused on jewelry and it's focused on them actually making the products rather than the whole maker backend um because that proved too unwieldy for both sides but yeah, I while I was kind of uh, working on Custom Made, I started also trying to clean up my diet with my wife. So my wife has a thyroid condition. She has Hashimoto's. And um, we were following all these all these different doctors who were saying, basically, all of them said, eat grass-fed beef. And went out to find grass-fed beef, didn't really know what grass-fed beef was, and couldn't find it. Maybe there was uh, ground beef in our grocery store, but there wasn't a a rich selection of cuts. There wasn't things that I was excited about cooking. And uh, that just began this kind of obsession of, oh, I wonder if I could figure out how to buy grass-fed beef. Like, why couldn't I just get the cow? So I ended up first buying grass-fed beef from a farmer in Albany. I live in Boston, so it's about a three-hour three, three hour drive. And then went from that to buying more and more because it didn't fit in my freezer. So i The first time, I gave some to my friends. The second time, I bought more and sold to my friends. And the third time that I did this, one of my friends was like, this would be so much better if it was just delivered to my house. And that was the spark that started um, really trying to pull apart, how would I deliver great quality meat directly to your door that you can, you know, uh, we call it claims-based, but essentially everything you're looking for in terms of antibiotic, hormone-free, humanely raised, grass-fed, how could I deliver that to your door in a way that was economical, in a way that you as a customer would, you know, just keep buying?
0: I got I to ask you real quick. Um, two questions. Why was grass-fed beef an important part of your wife's recovery, if you will?
1: Essentially, uh, just a quick story. Every cow starts out the same way. The first six months is cow-calf, so the calf with its mother drinking milk. The next year, that uh, cow goes on to grass and just eats grass. And then 98% of the cows in this country that are raised then move to a feedlot where they're fed a diet of grains, uh, corn and um, you know other things, and uh, basically put on a ton of weight uh, over a six-month period. 2%, the grass-fed ones, stay on grass. So essentially, they just keep eating grass. A lot of the diets, the... You know, the paleo diets, the little 30 diets, um, kind of the, you know, pe- the, the clean eating movement. Talk about the, uh, the toxins that are stored in the fat of the animals. Talk about the inflammation that's stored in the animals. And basically talk about how if you're on a diet where you're trying to eliminate as much kind of foreign stuff from your body as possible, eating something that was cleanly raised just on pasture makes a lot more sense. Uh so those diets tend to have like turkey, wild game and grass fed beef as like the three options of what you can eat. So yeah, that that that's kind of the the theory behind it and we were just consumers looking, you know, following what somebody else told us to do, told us to do. So
0: yeah, no, yeah, of course. And and that leads me to the the second question is I have to imagine that you guys at some point thought about just going to Whole Foods and seeing what they had available and was that the case and they and they did not or
1: yeah, so I live in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is uh, you know where Harvard University is. It's a fairly large city, well-educated city. We have two Whole Foods. Whole Foods doesn't really carry much in terms of grass-fed beef, so it might have ground beef, certainly will have ground beef. Might have ribeyes or New York strips, but that's pretty much it. And if, you're, if, if you like cooking, and you want to have different stuff, like a chuck roast, or a brisket, or a culotte steak, or a shoulder to, to put in the Instant Pot, any of that stuff, very hard to find in Whole Foods. And we can get into that more if, if you think your readers would be interested, but essentially one of the things that we stumbled into was our product is frozen, we freeze it and send it to you with dry ice, and everything's pre-portioned, which is actually remarkably convenient, more convenient than the refrigerator. But So we don't deal with the same issues in terms of spoilage and shrink that a regular grocery store does. The way that a grocery store works is they essentially bring something into their meat case and they have to make sure that they're going to sell it or else they, they have to cook it off and, and make a beef stew for their like hot, hot lunch line. So they're, they're essentially taking the risk on every piece of meat that they put into that case. And the reason why you don't see a lot of grass fed beef out there is because it's really hard for that, uh, that Whole Foods, even in a, in a major city, it's hard for that Whole Foods to have the confidence that they're going to be able to move all of the products that they, they put in. So, generally, what you see is vacuum packed ground beef and steaks and really nothing else, because those are the things that the customer probably knows is most familiar with. But if you're the customer that likes anything else, grass fed beef or beef related, it becomes tough.
0: And I know if you, if you get down into the, oh gosh, normal, quote unquote, you know, grocery store chains out there that are, are really discount-based, price-based, they're not carrying really high quality goods and products, that there For are sure. some pretty insidious practices that some have been caught using to increase the, the look and the feel, or if you will, the shelf life of the meats yep. they have available. Can yep. you can you share some of those with us? <laughs> um, well,
1: I, I, honestly, I don't I don't really know. I've heard from I've heard somebody just asked me the other day on a podcast about like pink dye or red yeah, dye. Yeah, So I, I I don't know much about that, but that sounds pretty. That sounds pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, I mean that's basically it. Is they'll they'll go through and as the meat starts to gray, put a chemical on it or or something else to to bring out the red or, or keep it longer. It's just gross. Yeah, so. Right. So cool. I get it. I, 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 get, the, uh, I get the inspiration. That's awesome. You, uh, you found uh, a couple of ranchers within a, a few hours of drive where you could start to source meat. And you're doing it for yourself at this point and some friends. I'm always interested in that inflection point where it goes from idea to actual implementation. Because yep. you've never been in this business before. Nope. Right. You're you got to in- figure all this out. So what did that process look like?
1: Yeah, totally. So yeah, going back to the story. So I I was like, wow, yeah, delivering to your door would be awesome. And at the time, I was leaving Custom Made because my co-founder and I had decided that one, we were going to kind of wind down the cost structure of the company. He was going to keep running it, but with a much smaller team. And it it, it just didn't make sense to have two co-founders there. So I knew I was on my way out and was looking for what was next. And I started ButcherBox with an eye towards uh, like a side hustle. This was not gonna be a huge company. This was, my, this was my side business while I went and pursued what was next. So that's important to the story because essentially everything I did in building it to start with was done with the notion of like, oh, this, this can just be done on the side. So for example, most of our people now get a curated option which means we send you what we send you. So if you're on the beef, chicken, pork plan, we're going to send you the best cuts that we can get on that for that month. That was stumbled into because I didn't want to carry a lot of inventory. But what's happened is we found out that people really love the discovery aspect and the, you know, the ability to get surprised every month on what's going to be what's going to be in there. So there's been all these like really interesting where we stumbled, like our model was built to basically be on to be on autopilot in many ways. There's an article about me right when we launched where I say, this business is really sexy at a couple thousand subscribers, you know, which is far, <laughs> far below where, where we ended up. So sometimes companies just decide they want to be a bigger thing that, or a smaller thing than what you expected. And that's I, I think it's really important to honor where the company wants to be. But the way that we started, so this was uh, 2015. Uh, it was about June when I left Custom Made. And uh, I wanted to start with a Kickstarter campaign because I believed that Kickstarter was at this interesting point in its life cycle where there was an opportunity if you knew how to how to game it a little bit there was an opportunity to get an outsized reward for the you know for the risk associated with it. So what we did is uh, I put together $10,000 of uh, my own money and that was enough to carry all of the expenses for you know the video for the for basically getting the bus- initial inventory, getting the business up and running, and uh, launched on Kickstarter, and the the whole thing was, hey, I wonder if this is uh, a wonderful strike of nerve. I wonder if we can build a big campaign. We went out to raise twenty five thousand, and we ended up raising two hundred and fifteen thousand in thirty days. So pretty clearly, we we're well above where we you know wanted to be. And sales were happening, and that was really exciting. And that was the that was the beginning. So we launched uh, beginning of September of 2015. So by mid October, we were shipping out thousands of boxes, and things just kind of started snowballing from there.
0: How um, did you How did you figure out that part of the business? Because you're like, okay, we've got people who want meat. Now we need to source and ship ship yep. the meat. Yep, and that's
1: that was really hard. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> actually, it, it basically I didn't talk about this, but it um. From the guys pointing out, hey, uh, that'd be really cool, to me actually shipping out a box, (laughs) Um, it took a long time, I think over a year, because I couldn't find anybody who would take us in terms of a frozen fulfillment center. I didn't even know what that world looked like in terms of the farms, in terms of the cutters who cut the meat, there's a lot of process there. I hunted down the former head of operations of Omaha Steaks um, mm-hmm. So I reached out to him blind on LinkedIn and said, "Hey, like I got this idea. Would you ever be willing to help me?" And it turned out he had uh, he had retired. He had retired years ago. There was no kind of uh, non compete or anything like that in place, and uh, he was willing to uh, help me jumpstart this business. So once he was involved, you know, the pieces started to come together in terms of how do you do this, how do you ship, and we've gotten way more complicated since th- since those early days. Yeah, so we started with one facility in Wisconsin, which meant things like shipping to the coasts was a bit of a disaster. Uh, You could only ship on a Monday. So if you bought on a Tuesday, we could only ship to you. We could only start shipping the following Monday. Just crazy, you know, inefficiencies in the model. You know, what my big belief is you get started with something, got to get started with something. And then you tweak and tweak and tweak and tweak. And you're never done just improving, improving, improving. On behalf of the customer, to make their experience better and better and better. So that's kind of where you know where we're we're very different now. But that that was that I'm a big believer in in seeking out mentors and seeking out people uh, on LinkedIn or seeking out people that can help you know work for the company. And and that is how uh, how we did that one.
0: How many employees do you guys have now?
1: Uh, so we have about fifty fifty employees, and then we have about fifty full time uh, contractors.
0: So one thing that I, that I noticed that, uh, that I loved on your webpage, and I have to bring it up here again on a different browser because I think I've, I've been cookied out of it, <laughs> is you guys seem to really understand direct response marketing and offers. And uh, yeah, so uh, Free Bacon for Life is the top banner, right? Yeah. Like, that's a great, a great call to action, great copywriting, uh, great irresistible offer is that your skill set or is that somebody on your team
1: it's i wouldn't say it's my skill set i mean my skill set is uh pretty pretty wide and not deep i brought on pretty early on i brought on my co-founder mike philby and so mike came on the team as the head of marketing and a lot of the marketing stuff has been his his brainchild but it's a work in progress we didn't start with free bacon you know that took that took about 2 years for us to figure out this idea of a coordinated promotion. The way we used to work is uh, we'd have all these different people promoting us, and they'd all have different offers. So it was really hard for us, or for customer service, or even for them to understand like what you're going to get, et cetera. So the customer would see different offers and really not know what to do. And, and then we decided to coordinate everything into one offer, and that that's worked way better. So when we started, because we didn't have we, so we never raised money. Um, so we, you know. Fast forward three years, we haven't raised any any venture capital, no outside money, and that has constrained us, but constrained us in really interesting ways um, that I think have been beneficial. One of the things is we, when we started, we didn't have a bunch of cash to like throw at Facebook and hope for the best and and uh, you know target customers and and try to grow. And what we did is we we noticed that there are all these people like the doctors and bloggers and nutritionists who had told my wife and I to eat grass fed beef. But they weren't really giving any resources for where to find this. So we went out to them, these influencers, uh, these you know bloggers, nutritionists. And we said, hey, c- when you tell your customer about this product, or when you tell your customer to eat grass-fed beef, could you also mention us? And we'll pay you like a, a, a royalty. And that strategy worked really, really well. And that's where we really
0: started to see growth. So the aff- affiliate model, basically.
1: Yeah. And what we did, which was... Just again, based because we hadn't raised money, is we did like an ongoing commission rather than an upfront fee. So the first people who worked with us, we we didn't really pay any upfront. You know, some people are like, "Oh yeah, give me ten grand, I'll write an email." We're like, "Ah, we can't do that, but we can give you like ten dollars per subscriber per month. That's all we can afford." And we we had a few people fall, and what what happened was they did incredibly well, and then started getting these monthly checks from us which was really, I I mean, I, uh, I always say semi ingest that I think the American dream is to sit on your ass and collect checks. And, uh, (laughs) you know, like that's basically what we built out. We built out an ability for people to do that. And, uh, that was, you know, that was yet again, because we didn't have any money. If we had money, we would have been like, sure, here's 10 grand. Like, let's hope for the best, you know? So I just, uh, just a, it, it's a really, it's been a really interesting ride and a really interesting path. And um, I, I, you know, to to people out there who are thinking about starting a company, I, I oftentimes mentor people. And one of the first questions they have is like, uh, okay, how do I raise money? It's like, uh, but before you go, decide you need to raise money, like, do you really need to raise money? And is there a way to do this without raising money? Because the ability to own your own destiny versus doing that with A board or a bunch of people breathing down your neck should not be taken lightly.
0: Yeah, agreed. And it just makes you more creative. It forces you to be more creative for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know,
1: going back to your point about like all the all the other meal kit companies out there, I read somewhere there's like 120 Blue Blue Apron lookalikes. So what happened with Blue Apron is Blue Apron went public. They're now trading at 30 cents on the dollar, right? So of revenue. So going going up to becoming public. Blue Apron and all the other meal kit companies were doing about five to 10 times revenue as their valuation, right? So if you have like $50 million in revenue, you're going to get a $250 million plus valuation.
0: Mm.
1: So Blue Apron had almost a billion in revenue and was like at a, you know, six to $7 billion valuation. Now the problem with that is now that Blue Apron has gone public and it's trading at 30 cents on the dollar in valuation or in uh, in revenue, nobody can get money anymore. So what you've seen in that space is it's basically all collapsed in the past year. So now grocery stores are purchasing these meal kit companies. So Plated's out. Green Chef is out. There's a lot of like froth and a lot of, a lot of issues in, in the market. And it's because everybody built a model to grow, 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 and not really thinking about how do we make profit on this. And the VCs were there to just fund it, fund it, fund it, fund it, fund it. And the music stopped. So the music has stopped. Right. And the challenge with these meal kit companies is they actually do offer a great service. But um, most of them have been built with without profitability in mind and with no eye towards like, how do we actually make money doing this? More an eye towards grow. And <laughs> the challenge with that is um, that that lasts until the tide comes out and then it doesn't last anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I could imagine. You know, we used to see. I live in a a high rise in downtown Austin, and you know, when you walk past the front desk, you'll see the daily delivery deliveries from the UPS driver and the FedEx driver, right? You Used to see a ton of Blue Apron boxes. A year ago, don't see any anymore. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. And well, that's
1: the other thing, which which is I, I think interesting to underscore. So, when we talk about our business versus like a Blue Apron. I see Blue Apron as a luxury item, meaning like you can decide to go to the store and buy a sweet potato and cube it yourself. Right. And maybe you don't have time, so you just keep the Blue Apron subscription going. In a lot of cases, the customer that buys ButcherBox can't go to their store and buy this stuff. Like it's not there. So we deal with a lot of people where it's an access issue, where they're you know, they they're not close to a Whole Foods, they're not close to a place that would carry this type of product, or it's a convenience issue. Like, yeah, I'm close, but I just I can't get over there. And even then, if you can, they're not going to have the cuts that that we can offer. So, yeah, I think I, it's a little bit different. You know, it's interesting. We just launched a new company called Smoothie Box, which ships smoothies. I see Smoothie Box as a lot more similar to the Blue Aprons of the world, where people might say, "Hey, I can just make my own smoothie. I don't need it like pre porsche It's super convenient, but it's not necessarily like you know, I can't get these the, these products elsewhere.
0: Interesting. You know, my My favorite meal, you know, meal box company, essentially uh, that I've ever used, and I haven't had a chance to to order through you guys yet, so that'll be my next uh, my next endeavor here is or was Juicero.
1: A real Juicero subscriber.
0: Yeah, no, I had the machine, and and this was uh, the big countertop machine, guys. If you're not familiar with Juicero, that you you would then get in the mail every week these uh, packets of essentially macerated blends of vegetables and fruits that you would then put in this machine and it was like a press and it would press you fresh organic juice and i love juicing but like many people i don't like the amount of work or cleanup that's involved with a juicing machine right right it's like juicero's my dream come true and i loved it i drank probably two of those a day wow I ordered hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month worth of these. And I saw a huge improvement in my health and my skin and everything. So I was like a super fan. And then boom, like three months later, they're out of business after hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars raised. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that was, a, you know... Did you try a, squeezing the bags? Like the... <laughs> Casey? Because that, that was their downfall. I, well... You know, I did, but it's not something you would want to do. It wasn't easy to do by any means. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I I heard from you know their founder updates or whatever that their biggest issue was sourcing and distribution and shelf life. Yep, and that was sure. that was the big piece that eventually you know put them under. But I'm glad you guys are, are thriving and and rocking. And I think. If you haven't thought about it yet, I know that there's a huge industry around beef jerky. Yep. Right? Every gas yep. station everywhere. But I don't want to eat that shit because it's full of preservatives and chemicals yep. and dyes and who knows where it is. But I would love to have some really good grass-fed beef jerky if that's something you guys will ever think about. So
1: Yeah, I know. It's yeah. certainly something that's on our, our you know, at least our, I wouldn't say the roadmap, but the the thing before the roadmap.
0: Yeah, Cool
1: because <clears throat> actually, what happens is so each of these animals uh so we do we do pork, lamb, beef, chicken, fish, each of these animals what you have is uh, they call it carcass utilization, but essentially you need to figure out how to utilize the entire animal, and so beef jerky is a really good way to get rid of some of the cuts that uh, people don't necessarily want in their box every month or you know across the system they don't want, and so that's a that's a if if you are going to really make change in, in the world or in the, in the United States in terms of grass-fed beef, which is what we want to do, or claims-based animals in general, uh, you have to figure out how to move all the product and you have to figure out how to get a premium for it because otherwise everyone in the system is losing. So it's it's pretty fascinating when you get down to like how do you move all these products. But beef jerky is a really great way of balancing and uh, a really... You know, just from a from a straight like, this is what the industry needs. The industry needs that. So if we need to step in to do that in order to you know keep things in balance, keep uh, keep the industry in balance, we we will.
0: From a marketing perspective, have you guys reached out to do some kind of partnerships with companies like uh, Big Green Egg? Because that would just be such a good fit. Yeah, yeah,
1: and if Big Green Egg is listening, we'd love to work (laughs) with you. We have, uh, we've worked with Traeger, Traeger grills, which are amazing, wood pellet grills. We've worked with Thermador, which is a kitchen, also amazing equipment. They actually decked out our, our, we have a a video production studio, which is all Thermador stuff, which we do recipes and stuff, which has been a lot of fun. We would love to do something with Instant Pot. Instant Pot is, in my opinion, the product that uh, ButcherBox needs to kind of work with because I have countless times taken a, a ButcherBox roast, frozen, put it in the Instant Pot, cranked it up to, you know, whatever, two hours of, of cooking and cooked something delicious without even having to thaw it. I mean, that's the, the convenience there is just incredible. And then, you know, while I'm at it, we would love to work with a freezer company or an appliance company right uh, i believe that our generation and the generations behind us should the 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 mix of refrigerator to freezer should as should be swapped i don't think that people need as much room for as much fresh stuff and i think frozen is a way better medium for this pace of life because frozen is very forgiving You know, you can take out frozen vegetables and cook them in three minutes. You can take out frozen meat and have it thawed in seven minutes. And you don't have to worry about buying food, having it in your refrigerator, and all the food waste associated. The problem is the freezer is so small compared to the refrigerator that people generally run out of freezer space. Mm. And, And so like my, you know, some people go into people's houses and I guess look in the medicine cabinet or I don't know where they look, but I look in people's freezers That's like the first thing I do when I go to your house is like open your freezer and be like, "Whoa, geez, it's bull in here because uh, people don't have to get rid of it that quickly. And I I, we want to be a platform of sourcing incredible ingredients and creating companies that that help do that for you and focus on the freezer. So that's that's where we want to be. But in order to do that, we need we need more freezer space,
0: quite frankly. Right, right, right. Another idea that just came to me a minute ago would, is something like uh, uh, a deal with Cutco, right? All these young kids selling yeah. knives <laughs> right Ooh, for the kitchen. That's a good one. Um, I would just imagine like, if you could hook up with any of these companies and, and just put a flyer or something in there that says, hey, with your first green egg or Cutco knife purchase or whatever, you get a free... You know, hundred dollar voucher from Butcher Box or whatever, right? I don't know what it, what the irresistible offer would be or bacon yep. for life, but it just seems like a a win win for everybody. Them okay. uh, as the vendor, you guys, the client, everyone. You heard it here first, <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. 2019. <laughs> um. Well, yeah, this is great. So, I want to ask you from a marketing perspective: Has the influencer model been Really, the most successful channel for you guys, or is it more, you know, paid Facebook ads these days? But from a marketing perspective, what's the avenue that you guys really focus on?
1: I mean, all of them now. So the challenge with the influencer models, first of all, I think it's kind of saturated in terms of these. These influencers get a lot of people asking them, hey, can you can you rep this product? Can you rep this product? So I think it, it it's a it's a tough one to break into. Um I think that was different two years ago. But not to say you can't, but uh it's probably more expensive and harder. But the challenge with the influencer model is there's only so many influencers and it's very you're very much at the whim of someone else, right? So they could just decide, oh yeah, I decided not to write that email.
0: And right. Like,
1: okay, like <laughs> we were kinda open on those sales and now we don't have them. Mm. Versus something like Facebook, where you can just turn it on and turn it off and dial it up and dial it down. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we certainly do advertising on Facebook. We certainly do a lot of retargeting. We know this is a considered purchase. People don't typically buy it on their first go around. So, you know, we try to get your email. We try to be able to communicate to you the value of, of grass fed and why it's important and why you should be eating this. And um, But, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot more to do there where we, uh, we wanna be top of mind. And what I tell our team is uh, I think it's too expensive and frankly too challenging to try to be the company teaching everyone why grass-fed beef is more important or is important to eat versus like conventional beef. I just wanna be the first brand that you see when, you, when you've decided to make this switch. So that's a you know a little bit of a different distinction. So we we spend more of our time trying to establish ourselves within the uh, claims based meat world rather than um, trying to convince more and more people to move over grass fed beef as a as a whatever to consider it a, a, a portion of meat consumption is is rising up is growing dramatically, which is great. Um, as more people get uh, kind of decide they want to eat differently same with uh same with organic chicken same with antibiotic free uh, products in general, I think uh, the consumer's become is waking up a little bit and that that's good for the industry and uh, we we're, we think we're in a good spot to help the industry figure out what to do next and how to do it and whatnot so um,
0: yeah absolutely and there's just so many niches that you guys and angles that you guys could go after again, starting with your wife 's health health challenges and tapping into the the health paleo and you know uh, keto niches basically, yep. uh, and then you've got you know the grill side and and the pitmaster type crowd um, yep. on the competition you know series if you will all kinds of uh, all kinds of amazing little niches that uh, you guys would be a perfect fit for so very cool I love uh, I love what you guys are up to this has been uh, this has been really neat one last question have you ever thought about doing any kind of super exotic stuff you know, kind of maybe rare once a quarter wild game or like something super premium Wagyu or something like that?
1: Yeah. So Wagyu would be outside of our scope because we're really based on, you know, humanely raised and um, Mm. uh, pasture raised and stuff like that. And Wagyu is just not that. Right. But uh, as far as super exotic premium, yes. So we've done, uh, this isn't that exotic, but we've done buffalo before and we do lamb, but that's not that exotic. Although in, in this country, the amount of lamb eaten is, is like nothing. Um, but we do, the, the big, so I, I guess short answer, yes, and we want to do more of that. Um, the big challenge we have is as you grow, if you're gonna do something super exotic, you essentially can only sell it to a few people. Right. Because you can't have like a run on um, whatever the product is. Right. Right. So we we had salmon. First time ever we had salmon. And I think within like an hour, we had sold 15,000 pounds of salmon. Wow. (laughs) Like, holy cow. Clearly, like people want salmon. Okay, Like we need to make this part of our box. But also just... You know, in terms of the size, we can do stuff. It just needs to be very, very highly targeted, and frankly, that's like uh, something we need to work on from a technology perspective: is how to how to get that targeting down so that we're offering things to people at the right time, et cetera. Right. But yeah, no, and we our whole business is if you think about our business, so we're a subscription business. Basically, we want to put your meat on autopilot. Or your smoothies on autopilot. And our whole job is to keep you. So we want to provide a ton of value. We want to be cheaper than where what you can get these cuts at the grocery store for. And we want the convenience, the wow, this was so easy with the uh wow, this is a great value and the, the product is incredible. So we, we're trying to we're trying to be all things and uh yeah, that's a that's a, a big challenge. Um it's a big hairy challenge. It's, a lot of operations and logistics and procuring meat right and um, you know, working with the right people and making sure we're working with the right farms and all that, which is, there's, there's a lot that goes into it and there's a lot that goes into the brand promise that we have that we're going to find you the best quality meat you can, you can find at, at the best price. So the, 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 the adventure continues to, to actually deliver on that promise, which it has been, uh, it's been quite the adventure so far.
0: Yeah. Well, congrats on your success, and and this is just a, a great case study on, you know, turning a personal challenge into a successful niche business. Um, you know, that's that's what what we talk about here often on the podcast, and, and you guys are just one more phenomenal example of doing exactly that. Is there something we can do to hook up the listeners with uh, maybe a discount or something like that to give you guys a a, a try?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you were going to put in the show notes or um, a, a URL that you wanted people to go to
0: yeah, um let's do self made and do you guys have like a, a coupon code during the checkout process, or how does that work?
1: We do yep
0: okay, awesome. So can we uh, use self made just one word Yep, awesome, okay, cool. And then what would uh everybody get for that?
1: so uh, if you use the self made uh, coupon code at checkout, we will do twenty five dollars off your first box uh plus free
0: bacon nice free bacon for life <laughs> not for life not for life right uh, <laughs> yeah
1: uh, that's only right now as we as we are talking
0: but, okay um, cool
1: <laughs> just free bake um but yeah no to uh you know we um we're 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 always if, even if you're not quite sure just going to our site and putting your email in um so you can be kept up to date can learn more about grass-fed beef you can get some great recipes um, and. You know, if you want to think about it over time, that's that's fine too.
0: Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, Mike, thank you so much for for coming on and sharing your story. I love businesses like this, and I love stories like this because um, I can relate to it a lot, and it's just such a great example of another uh, you know savvy entrepreneur who saw an opportunity in their own personal lives and, and turned it into a business for uh, you know hundreds of thousands of other people to benefit from. So, uh, thanks so much for the time today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank
0: you. Absolutely. Well, guys, go check them out at butcherbox.com and uh, put in the coupon code selfmade uh, to get $25 off your first order. I know I'm going to be picking up something for myself. And uh, Mike, this was once again a pleasure. Thank you for coming. And as always, guys, we'll see you next week. Take care.